Good afternoon. It is a Thursday, and that means that it is time for another uh, study from Bill Allen here in downtown Tyler. Hope you are having a good week and that you are feeling close to God and He is blessing you and you're aware of His presence in your life. I'm glad to be able to join you today. Glad that you are choosing to take a listen to this lesson, uh, whether it is live at 3 p.m. Central Time uh, or if it's later on our website, westerwin.com. That's Irwin with an E, West, E-R-W-I-N.com. Uh, scroll over the Connect tab at the top. So scroll down until you find the live streaming channel. Click on that and then scroll down and find video archives. And you'll be able to catch a bunch of these lessons and a bunch of other fun stuff as well, including previous sermons from me and worship services from our West Irwin Church of Christ family. Uh, you may also be watching these a little bit later on my Facebook page or on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page or our West Irwin Live Facebook page, which is where you can also see our worship services on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And you can see those on our website uh, as well on that uh, big live uh, streaming page where the big blue box is. Nice to see my friends Cindy and Eric with me and others I know will be joining in as well. And so um, interesting lesson today. We are in the Psalms on Thursdays, reading through the Psalms uh, in the book, um, the Songs of Jesus uh, from Tim and Kathy Keller, and uh, seeing a few of those each week and reading through one or two of them. Uh, we had a very long one on, in this past week, Psalm 78, but I'm not going to do that one today. I'm going to do a much shorter one. And that is Psalm 79, but no less difficult. A lot of this section of Psalms, if you've noticed over the past few weeks, deal with uh, how do I cope with uh, the realization that God doesn't always act the way I want him to act? And how do I, how do I live under the um, uh, reality that sometimes even though you're faithful, things don't work out very well. And sometimes even those who are unfaithful, their lives seem to be going great. Job had some of those questions, as we have said, which is where I am in our Sunday morning series. I'll turn a page on that in a couple of weeks, first Sunday in August, when I move into the book of Philippians for some sermons from uh, in August through Labor Day. But for now, we're looking at uh, Psalm 78, and it is a it is a very challenging psalm, and it's one that uh, may cause us some questions as we compare it to some of the things that Jesus said. But let's take a look. Psalm 79. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. As I've said all along, when you look at the Psalms, if you're wanting to know the context and the, the time or the situation, the best way to do that is to take a look at the content. I know that some of the Psalms have headings, and as I've said before, those headings at the beginning of some of the Psalms are not inspired, I believe, but they are very likely accurate. And so they're good to be used as we consider. But the main thing is to read through that Psalm, and it gives you a really good idea of what's going on in the life of the Psalmist. And this one, we only have to read verse one to know where we are. This is right after the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem, 
after the walls had been torn down and the gates destroyed and the uh, people of God were threatened by the Babylonians. They had already taken many of the best of the population of the Jews to captivity in Babylon. And now they are, were coming after the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed Solomon's beautiful, wonderful temple. They uh, killed the king at the time after they um, after they uh, uh, killed his children. And it was just a very, very horrible, horrible uh, thing. They, uh, they took him to, uh, to captivity and ultimately he was killed. Um, and so here, after seeing their city and their country torn apart and burned up, the psalmist writes in Psalm 79, O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance they have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. Well, that's the exact same picture that you get reading the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is exactly what the title indicates, a lament written by Jeremiah, uh, lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem and the sinfulness of the Israelites that had brought about this destruction by the Babylonians. God had warned them time and time again through the prophets, including Jeremiah and his contemporary Habakkuk, and yet the Israelites would not repent uh, and so God uh, uh, called them to uh, be punished, and it was at the hands of the Babylonians, which Habakkuk had a really hard time dealing with, uh, but that was how God chose to punish his people and to bring them back to him. Uh, we've studied in our Sunday morning Bible classes here at West Irwin uh, just recently, a few weeks ago, the time of the exile and the time of the return and the rebuilding of the temple and the the rebuilding of the walls under Nehemiah and the, the rebuilding, in a sense, of uh, the worship of God and of faithfulness to God from wonderful leaders such as Ezra the priest. Uh, a great, exciting time that came after what the psalmist is seeing right now. That came decades later. This seems to be very soon after the destruction of Jerusalem, perhaps not right after, but not very many years past. And he speaks very graphically. They left dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky. Uh, that's a horrible, horrible image, and yet that's exactly what happened. That's how callous the pagan Babylonians were. And that's why Habakkuk had such a hard time with this when he whined to God because the Israelites were unjust and living in, in immorality and idolatry. God said, well, Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to bring the ruthless, pagan, cruel, selfish Babylonians to come in and punish my people. And Habakkuk said, no, 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 Lord, you're, you, you can't do that. You're a just and righteous God. You can't let a less righteous nation uh, punish a more righteous nation. That doesn't make sense. And, and God responds to Habakkuk the first time it's written in Habakkuk 2 verse 4. That great statement, my righteous one will live by faith. In other words, we don't understand everything. That's what Job had to learn as well. 
And when we can't understand why God is acting the way he's acting or why God is not acting at all the way we think he should be acting and doing what we think he should be doing, that's when faith is really faith. And that's where the psalmist is right now, uh, complaining to God and uh, lamenting the fact that uh, the evil, unrighteous nations around them have uh, destroyed their city, have taken away their people, and have left it in rubble and blood. And so the psalmist asks this question in verse 5 of Psalm 79. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and destroyed his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. So the psalmist is really crying out for two things. First of all, he's crying out that God would forgive them, that he would not hold their sins against them, that, that his mercy would come quickly, as he says. Jeremiah had said it would be 70 years, and it was almost exactly 70 years. In fact, it was exactly 70 years from the time of the first of the Babylonian deportations that took some of the best of the lot, such as Daniel and Ezekiel and others. And then 70 years later, finally, uh, Cyrus, the Persian king, comes on and allows the Jews to go back and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem. But the psalmist didn't know how long it was going to take. He wasn't for sure, and he cries out to God, first of all, to extend his mercy and ease up and forgive their sins. But he also calls on God to do something else. Pour out your wrath, verse 6, on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. What about our enemies? Well, for the psalmist, he wanted God to punish them. He wanted to strike them dead. He wanted him to make them suffer the way they had made the psalmist and his people, the Jews, the chosen nation, suffer. He didn't want God to relent. He didn't want God to ease up. He wanted God to relent on him and his people and forgive their sins. But to their neighbors who were unrighteous, who were cruel who had taken them away into captivity the psalmist called for judgment calm psalmist called for punishment god allowed the destruction of jerusalem by the babylonian army because of his jealousy that's what verse 5 says how long will your jealousy burn like fire god did not want to share his people with anyone and if they were not completely devoted to him but if they were wanting to serve the other gods committing spiritual adultery or acting with injustice towards each other or uh, acting in immoral ways such as the sexual immorality we see rampant in our country today um, God's jealousy would not allow that to go on forever and ultimately he brought the Babylonians to punish his people Paul speaks of having a godly jealousy for his friends in 2nd Corinthians 11 and he wants uh, us to remember that God is jealous of us and will not share the your heart with anyone. If you want someone else to share it with God, such as yourself or your own wants and desires, uh, whatever those might be that are in contradiction to the word and will of God, then God will say, okay, if that's what you want, then you can have it, but I can tell you it's not going to go well for you.
God had allowed the Israelites to go their idol-worshiping way. Uh, but if he had kept that up, if he had not acted and punished them, uh, then they would have been totally lost. But now the Israelites see how important their righteous lives are and how devastatingly evil were their sins, and so they learn to repent. It is because we are so loved by God that he would be willing to discipline us just like a loving parent will not say yes all the time to their child because they know what's best for them even when the child doesn't. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 quotes from the Proverbs how God disciplines those whom he loves. And so we know that God will act in our lives today as well. It's kind of scary, but he will. Let's keep reading in Psalm 79, starting in verse 9. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Just as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the psalmist says, God, we're, we're sinful. We don't deserve anything, but act in ways that are merciful to us and uh, in ways that bring justice and judgment for us and against our neighbors. Uh, for your name's sake. Uh, that's the whole deal. Um, why should the nation say, the psalmist says, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. I think at his heart, the psalmist wants everyone to know that the God of Israel is the one true and living God. But emotionally, he wants God to let them have it because of the horrible things they had done to his people. Verse 11, may the groans of the prisoners come before you. With your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they have hurled at you, Lord, not just at his people, but at God. And that was true. Verse 13, then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. The psalmist says, if you'd come and deliver us and vindicate us against our enemies, we will not forget you. We will not forget where this salvation and vindication came from. We will worship you, God. We will praise you. The question of the book of Job is, will a person praise God and worship God even if they don't see that? And the psalmist is an example here. He's taking these complaints and these prayers and these call, this call for vindication against his enemies, he's taking that to God. Hasn't given up on his faith. And that's what we need to do as well as we think about how should we respond to our enemies. The ones who take advantage of us, the ones who are cruel to us, the ones who are unfair, the ones who treat us unjustly, the ones who stab us in the back, the ones who hurt us emotionally, even physically. How are we to respond? Well, I think we take a couple of lessons from the psalmist. First of all, we respond with honesty. And that's what we read in the Psalms. The honest worshipers taking their feelings and emotions straight to God. And I think we can do that. God knows our feelings and emotions. Certainly in the book of Job, Job is commended for being honest about his suffering and how nothing made sense. And his friends were uh, condemned by God and told to go to Job for prayers because they denied the reality that they saw all around them. 
and especially in the life of Job. And Job uh, was the one who did not deny that reality, nor should we. When things are tough, when things are hard, when we're treated unjustly and cruelly, we don't have to deny that. We can voice that uh, frustration and that hurt uh, to God. We can voice those questions about why a righteous God is letting this go on. That's okay. We can say with the psalmist, how long, Lord, will you be mad at me forever? That was one of Job's questions too. How long, Lord, until you bring about justice and vindication for me? Uh, the psalmist went a step further and asked God to punish his uh, enemies many times over. And, and we have a big problem with that. And I love this quote, um, God's promise to punish the wicked stems from his love and concern that the righteous one day receive the justice and vindication they have longed for and not received in this life. Well, if that's what's motivating that call for judgment and vindication, then I, I think that's okay. We're wanting God to make right what is wrong in this world, and that's, that's a just cause. And that's a, a righteous prayer. But if we just want God to punish our enemies for the sake of seeing them get theirs, well, we have to be careful about that. Because if this were all that the Bible said, okay, no problem. But there's this little thing called the Gospels. There's this little thing called the New Testament. There's the statement of Paul the Apostle saying, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, don't ask for vengeance upon your enemies. Don't take that vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. And if you take it out on them, then they're not going to get it nearly as bad as if God were to do that. And so Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, uh, he doesn't deny that there's injustice and that they've been treated in bad, evil, unjust ways. Paul himself experienced that, but still he called on God uh, to uh, help him to overcome evil with good, and so should we. And of course, that has its basis in these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then he clears any question we have after that reading up with the verses that follow, starting in Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What do you mean, Jesus? He goes on. He causes, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If we love our friends and hate our enemies, <laughs> what, what difference is there in that from the people around us that don't acknowledge God at all, that don't believe in Jesus, that 
They do the same thing. They love their friends and they hate their enemies. They are good to those who are good to them. You know, do unto others as they do to you is their motto. That wasn't Jesus' motto. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And even more so, treat others the way God has treated you. And the way God has treated us is when we were unjust, he did good things for us and provided good things to us. And that's what verse 48 means in Matthew 5. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not perfect in the sense of sinless, as he is sinless, but perfect and complete and righteous in the sense that he allows blessings on everyone. He is merciful that way. And aren't we glad? Aren't we glad? We don't want to be judged by a standard of hard judgment, a standard that doesn't find room for mercy and forgiveness. And so if we want that to be our standard, how should we feel towards our enemies? Jesus tells us to love them. And again, it doesn't mean that you befriend them. It doesn't mean that you trust them. It doesn't mean that you go into business with them or that you marry them. But what it means is, is that you, you pray for them, for their genuine good that God would bless them and that they would come around and that they would be able to see the evil in their ways and that they would find a way to repent and turn to God. Maybe that's a little bit different than that prayer we read in Psalm 79 where the psalmist asked God to punish the enemies. And we know that one day God will do that. Why? Because yes, God is loving and gracious and merciful, but God is also just. And just as surely as uh, the scriptures promise that God is merciful and patient and wants everyone to come to repentance, as, uh, as 2 Peter 3 says in the same passage in the very next verse, verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come. That day when God makes everything right and everything comes to light. And so Peter asked the question in that passage, therefore, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of lives ought we to live? Knowing that God has forgiven and knowing also that God one day will judge. The psalmist hears the victim's blood crying out from the ground as he looks around in Jerusalem destroyed. Just as God heard the blood crying out from the ground of Abel, who had been killed by his brother Cain, horrible to think that it took one generation for murder to be done. It's just a horrible, horrible reality that we live with as being carnal people ourselves. Uh, the psalmist calls for God to pay back the invaders, and we get it. We do. But we realize and we know on this side of the cross that Christ's blood would one day be poured out in that very same city of Jerusalem. But it's blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel in Hebrews 12 that cried out from the ground. That's the quote in Hebrews 12, verse 24. And that blood of Jesus calls us to forgive rather than to seek vengeance. That blood causes us to consider the forgiveness that God has brought upon us and to love others the way God in Christ Jesus has loved us. And so just as Jesus sought the good of all, 
He called out those who were unrighteous, and we can do the same, but he did it in love. He did it in a way with a purpose to try to bring them back to their Creator, to bring them to their Savior. And yes, many of them would not respond, and many today, when we try to do that, will not respond either. But that's on them. As far as we're concerned, we'll pray for them. We'll wish them well. We'll love them the way God and Christ Jesus has loved us. We won't love them the way they has loved, have loved us because they haven't. But we will love them the way God has loved us, the way Jesus has loved us. And we'll seek for God's will to be done. That's my prayer these days. In a lot of ways, as I pray for my family, may your will be done. As I pray for our church here at West Irwin, may your will be done. As I pray for our country and for the next couple of years of election craziness, may your will be done. And as I pray in my own life, as the Lord's Prayer also says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my life, Lord, as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask for your forgiveness for ourselves. And today, Father, we very uh, hesitatingly pray for you to forgive those who sin against us. Forgive our enemies, those who take advantage of us, those who treat us unjustly. Father, help us to respond in right ways, in wise ways. But help us, Father, in our hearts to turn them over to you and to say we'll not let the sins that they have against us overpower us. We will not be overcome by the evil with which they have treated us, but rather we will overcome that evil with good. Father, help us to be able to do exactly that. And as Jesus taught us to pray, Father, we pray today, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you have a wonderful week and the rest of your day today, and I hope that you have a good weekend. I look forward to seeing you online. I'll be preaching from Job when God answers Job, but he doesn't answer his questions. He just hits him with more questions. That's my sermon this coming Sunday. Two things I've learned and two things I think Job learned about God. And that'll be this Sunday morning. And then I'll be able to see you again uh, next week on Tuesday and Thursday. May God bless you. And may God bless and use us all.